0: Mic check
1: one two one two three. Namaste. You are the morning brief.
2: Hello. You are listening to the morning brief. Ketik Minglekettikkondirippade.
1: The morning brief. Namaskar. Apannaikatha The morning brief. Namaskar. Apna rasunche the morning brief.
3: Namaskara. Ni viga The morning brief.
2: What you just heard is what is termed content localization. A term we may or may not be familiar with, but a concept we have known for a long time. It was 2006, a rickety bus climbing up the western ghats and close to 40 overexcited teenage girls. Doom 2 had just released and everyone was salivating over Ritik Roshan and Aishwarya Rai. Everyone was overjoyed when the bus driver said he could play the film for us on the journey. But there was a catch. He didn't have the original Hindi version, but rather had the Tamil dubbed one. This of course was not an issue for anyone on the bus because we were all Chennaiites. So we started off with watching it and soon it spiraled into face palming, laughing and ridiculing the dub dialogues. I distinctly remember the scene where Aishwarya turns to and asks Are you like checking me out? In the Tamil version it became "Ni ana check out And while there's technically nothing wrong with that, it sounded downright silly. Just like most of the dub did in Tamil. Oh, and how can I forget the classic Jurassic Park being dubbed in Hindi where the dinosaurs were called Buddy Chipkalis? No, I'm not joking. But why am I telling you about things that happened about two decades ago? It's because dubbing has come a long way since all of this. But how far have we really come? Pushpa.
0: Pushpa Raj. Pushpa. Pusparazi, yet the guard and got on the Puspara, Pusparaz, Tuggetele.
2: To find out exactly that. I have with me dubbing artist Sanket Matre who is dubbed for Southern stars like Ram Charan and Alu Arjun and has worked on projects like RRR as well as Ben 10, Deadpool, Batman, Shazam and is also the voice of Bear Grylls. He's joined by podcaster and well-known radio and audio specialist Ria Mukherjee who has written the Hindi dialogues for RRR. Not just that, we have more. Mona Shetty, who runs one of the largest studios, and Anil Tadani, who is a film distributor, take us through the other links in the ecosystem. Together, they tell us how the dubbing industry has evolved. It's Friday, March 24th. I'm your host, Reki, and you are listening to Vocal for Local, the booming dubbing industry, on the morning brief from the Economic Times. Let's quickly move on to getting an idea of when all of this dubbing-shubbing really started. Dubbing as we know it started around 1930. But here's what I didn't know. At that time, it was used as a tool for film censorship. There's a really interesting article by Damien Pollard of Cambridge University where he traces the political history of dubbing. In his writing, Pollard said that sound films began to appear in the early 1930s, a time when many countries were falling under the sway of totalitarian regimes. In Italy, Spain and Germany, Benito Mussolini, Francisco Franco and the Nazis would change dialogues to remove or alter anything that would portray them in a negative light. We have a power-packed lineup and it's better I don't do all the talking and get our guests to give us a glimpse into how these films really come to life. What works, what doesn't, how to ensure the writer's vision with the original dialogues does not get lost in translation, and more importantly, why dubbing is being dubbed as the largest inclusion exercise. Nope, not my words. A report by Chrome DM points out how India's dub content market grew at almost 61% CAGR in the last five years. Let's begin with the core of the process its start and fulcrum, the writing. And let's start with the best example we can start with. A film which has become a rage, a buzzword, a massive meme generator, a runaway hit and India's latest Oscar win, RRR. I asked Ria Mukherjee what went into writing the Hindi dialogues for the Telugu original. At the outset, Ria is a Bengali from Delhi who told me she doesn't know Telugu. So when she was asked to write the dialogues, she had the script with the dialogues in Telugu, translated to English, and then she got down to the task of writing them in Hindi. So why did Mr. Rajamurli approach Ria, who's a radio
3: person through and through, to write dialogues for RRR? It's actually not an accident that Rajamouli sir decided when he has the choice of the industry ready to write for him, to go with a person from a radio background. Because he was very clear that he didn't want this to sound like a dubbed film. He was very, very sure that he did not want to have that dubbed quality to the Hindi, that you listen to it and you know this is not how people speak in real life. So therefore, he went with a person from an industry where the sound of the words or the phraseology is critical for us, right? Because we're from audio, there is nothing else for us except how language sounds, And therefore, after doing the translation, the cultural transition from, you know, Telugu, and because it's a period film, there are a lot of cultural references. So, the cultural transition, the translation of the meaning, there is lip, there is length. Sanket will know what I'm talking about. Lip (laughs) and length is what kills both the voiceover artist and the writer because you have to fit into the exact length.
2: Sorry to interrupt you, but like when you say lip and length, you're talking about the syncing, like...
3: Exactly. So the length of your line has to be as long as the artist's lips are moving in the original language. He can't be talking while his lips are shut and he can't be not talking while his lips are moving, which is a common feature in the older films. Exactly. Yeah,
1: Yeah.
3: And then there is lip sync, which is when he's going, ah, you can't be putting an E word. But for Triple R, there was a final step after you had achieved all of it, was to step back, close your eyes, have someone say those sentences to you, and say, "Does anybody talk like that in real life?" <laughs> if they don't, you went back to the drawing board. How long did this entire process take you, Ria? It took me seven days to write the dub script. Okay. Now that might seem like, oh God, the film took three years and you took just seven days, but it's not seven days because it is. 12 to 15 hours every day into seven days and it is just a two and a half hour film. Right. So imagine spending 12 into seven for two and a half hours. Mm. So it is actually a lot of time. But of course, the
2: writing process wasn't always so nuanced, which is why the hilarious examples I started with. Sanket has been in the industry for 17 years and he told me what it was like initially.
1: You have to understand that dubbed films or have started quite recently. The first Hollywood to Hindi dub project that happened was the first Jurassic Park movie in 1994. So it's not that old of a trade. I mean, the whole, uh, you know, loud dialogues or um, things being translated in a really funny way or writers still not understanding the nuances, uh, something like a sentence which would read, uh, The sun rose would be written as uh, Suraj Gulab hua. And it would be funny and we'd laugh our heads off when we were voicing it because we would understand the context. But the writers would sometimes not be provided video or they would not understand what the context is. Everybody was kind of trying to learn the craft, so to say.
2: And what is it like now?
1: If you see the journey now, everybody from the writers to the directors to the engineers to the artists, um, everybody's evolved, everybody's refined their craft. And which is where we've come to this point where films like RRR, you can watch them as you would watch a Hindi film. And it's no surprise then that, you know, some of the top grossing films in India right now are, you know, dubbed films. Uh, There's RRR right up there, there's KGF, there's Pushpa. It's not Hindi films, it's it's films that were dubbed into Hindi.
2: Not just big screens, a massive push came from OTTs as well. If you're someone who loves films and binge-watching on Amazon, Netflix, Hotstar and the like, you probably remember the mad rush to put out content through the last few years, when many of us were locked up at home and watching shows like they were going out of style. Unsurprisingly, Sanket had his hands full through that period, so I couldn't help but ask him if the lockdown was a turning point for the industry.
1: What happened during the lockdown was we ended up dubbing a lot of South films into Hindi. So imagine... If I liked a film of, say, Alu Arjun, whose, whose voice I've given in several of his films, now I'm kind of watching a new Alu Arjun film every two weeks, every three weeks, every other month. Because once, uh, you know, a recent film of his becomes a hit, they scour all the archives and find everything that he's ever done and start dubbing all of it into right. Hindi. And then the advent of OTT uh, pushed it even further. People were consuming even more content on OTT. We were dubbing even more during the lockdown. We were trying whatever we could building pillow forts in our houses, using whatever equipment we could, but we were still doling out content right from our houses because people were almost finishing everything that was already available on OTTs and they were wanting more.
2: Now Sanket has been swamped with projects. After RRR's massive success, Ria must be drowning in dialogue work, right? Wrong. She's actually rejecting projects. And here's why.
3: They don't pay well. Oh, no. None of the producers pay, especially to the writers. I don't know how the dubbing artists fare, but the writers are paid really bad money. And I have the luxury of saying no to projects because it's not my bread and butter. But it really concerns me because if they can offer that kind of money to someone who's written Triple R. Hmm. Then I wonder what they're offering to people who have just started off, who really need the work, who probably moved to Bombay, who don't have the luxury to say no. So I have said no to four out of six projects that have been offered to me, not because I've become some big star wanting to charge lakhs, but because that money is so suboptimal that you cannot give two months of your life to that. Can you give us an idea of what these numbers are like? oh, somebody will call and say, write the entire film for 30,000 rupees or something like that.
4: <laughs> wow.
3: Sankeet, I hear
2: you laughing. Is, that, uh, is it much better with uh, voicing artists or is it the same thing? <laughs>
1: Someone will then call the voice artist and expect them to voice for it in 30,000 as well. So, exactly.
3: I mean. <laughs> it's nuts, man. It's nuts. It's very poorly paying. And that is one of the reasons why that creative pushback also doesn't happen. Because if somebody is getting such little money, their entire mm. focus will be finish Chapo, as we say. Mm. You know, karo or chapo. Right. You know, thanks thanks to Javed Akhtar Sahab, we get royalties for songs at least now. You know, I have earned more from Nacho through royalties than I earned writing that song. (laughs) So if the same thing could be done for dialogues, then, you know, we'd all be okay taking a a modest original fee because, you know, you'll recover with royalties later if the film is a hit. Absolutely. Like I'm not too bothered about how much I charge for lyrics because I know if the song's going to be a hit, the royalties will come in. But there's no such protection for dialogue writers.
2: Luckily for Rhea, the royalties tied to Nacho Nacho have ensured that she's nacho Nacho nachoing her way to the bank. But what about royalties for voicing artists? I asked Sangeet. Does the royalty money come to him too?
1: the simple answer is um no it does not because uh, there are no concepts of royalties here the closest we come to that is uh, when we're doing television commercials those are the ones where kind of they pay you if uh, for like a default one year fee and if it if the ad is played beyond say a one year term then you know the terms are negotiated with you in terms of a five year like a one-year buyout or a two-year buyout or a lifetime buyout and you know that amount is additionally given to you if your voice is kind of uh, you know for a 30-second commercial is clipped and turned into a 20-second commercial again you will be kind of given some kind of um, you know edit cuts on that but like i said for anything other than that all the other avenues they are like a one-time fee we are made to sign off on contracts which say that our rights will be to this project are taken away in perpetuity and uh, we uh, do not get any uh, royalties we are not a part of the whole royalty thing and if you compare it to how voice artists operate in a lot of abroad and i know of them personally as well what happens is they would kind of maybe work for uh, four five months on certain projects especially stuff like commercials and all that and the remaining eight months they can easily travel on the amount of royalties they'll make off of those projects you know it's it's that lucrative but it's it's not happening here and so uh, it is something that artists have kind of gotten used to now but it's it's not fair at the end of the day it's not fair
2: That's a real bummer and while speaking to some other dubbing artists, I realised that so many of the times they don't even get credit for their work. And even if they do, it's rolled out during the end credits in a font that's tinier than the conditions apply asterisks and completely eclipsed by some dance number. But there's hope. Sanket said that a lot of dubbing artists are being appreciated on social media now. From the fulcrum to the factory, the dubbing studios where the writing takes shape is brought to life by voice actors packaged, synced and produced. We have with us Mona Shetty, Managing Director of Sound and Vision, one of the largest dubbing studios in India that has been in the business since 1993 to give us all the details of the dubbing dhanda. I began by asking Mona how much money really goes into building a state-of-the-art studio.
4: I think over the years, uh, the studios have uh, evolved tremendously. Our new studios are now built by qualified acousticians, You know, made by the best talent, both creative and technical talent available. So now I can truly say that we have state-of-the-art studios which are at par with world standards. Capex-wise, I would say that it varies hugely in terms of uh, what you really uh, set out to achieve. I mean, I'm sure there are people who build studios in 5 to 10 lakhs if they're making like a home studio setup, whereas you can spend anything up to... 50 lakhs or a crore if you're really creating a state-of-the-art studio.
2: Can you give us an idea of just how much the boom has been in this whole space in terms of how many projects maybe you were working on earlier and how many you're working on now?
4: I was just thinking about this a few days ago that, you know, when I took over from my mum in 2012 to now, our revenue has gone up, let's say... Twenty times. If I look at the last five years since we have been servicing OTT, our revenue has gone up 10 times. Let's put it this way. I mean, I really don't have a count. I mean, I'd probably say that earlier, if we were working on three or four projects at a time, it gradually went up to 10 a month and then 20 a month, to now if you really look at pre-production, production, production and post-production, then you're probably looking at 30, 40. But I think the way to look at it would be that earlier, when I took over, we were functioning out of maybe four or five studios. And then gradually that became eight in 2018. It became maybe 12 by 2020. And now we're functioning out of 26 studios. Wow, that's a huge jump. Yeah, in two years. Yeah, and by next year, we are looking at functioning out of maybe about 45 to 50 studios. I mean, whichever way you choose to look at it, we are seeing kind of that kind of organic growth, which is unprecedented.
2: What is the money chasing this unprecedented
4: growth? Historically, theatricals were dubbed at anything between 5 to 10 lakhs. 30 years ago, they're still dubbed at 5 to 10 lakhs. So not a whole lot has changed in that direction. But yes, I mean, for the discerning few, a dub can cost anywhere between if you really go down to the lowest spenders, maybe you could even get a dub for 50,000. But uh, the more discerning ones would even be willing to spend 50 lakhs on a very big film by bringing in star talent. But there are also the number crunchers who just want to put content out at the lowest cost possible just so that they can have more and more numbers. And those will always be the larger numbers and those will always come at the lowest cost so that's the mashup if you really look at it what about
2: the language mashup though which are the languages
4: that are bringing in the most moolah well of course it's hindi because the moment anyone considers the indian market as a whole i think the numbers will definitely point towards uh, hindi Mm. So uh, Hindi has always got the biggest number of requests, followed closely by perhaps, well, not closely, but followed by Telugu and Tamil, which are the big film industries and the big film markets. Kannada and Malayalam have opened up to uh, localization much later, and they are kind of now catching up gradually. English is coming in slow and steady with more and more Indian content going global and the world wanting to watch more and more Indian content. So all these languages are catching up. But yes, definitely Hindi has a huge edge above the earth. Right. A lot of English content actually coming into India. For the last 30 years, I think the the largest amount of content we have dubbed has been English content into Hindi. Could you give us some examples? Yeah, well, you know, we started out with Jurassic Park in 93 when that became a huge hit. I mean, after that, there was just no stopping English movies from getting dubbed in Hindi. And that's what really started the whole trend. Then uh, we've gone, of course, uh, South Indian languages becoming more and more prominent and becoming more and more popular have added to the mix. And there's a lot of demand for Hindi dubs for South Indian content. So I would say that comes a close second only by virtue of numbers, nothing else. I mean, because obviously if you're looking at the amount of uh, English content coming in, it's way larger than the amount of South Indian content coming in. So uh, that has been the biggest chunk.
2: But I couldn't let Mona go without asking her a critical question. Something that was bothering me through this episode What happens to me and my breed of viewers who love subtitles? Will subtitles be forgotten
4: in all of this dubbing mania? Oh, absolutely not. Subs has a different place altogether. First of all, Subs has also grown maybe 10 times of what dubs have grown Mm -hmm. because obviously the cost of subtitling is way lower than the cost of dubbing, right? There's not as much talent involved. There's not as many functions involved in that. So it's much faster. It's much cheaper. It can never be replaced by dubbing. Dubbing is growing organically by itself because of the need for people to be able to enjoy content without having to read constantly. So you can just enjoy, you can immerse yourself in the visuals and the content rather than having to read everything almost like you're reading a book. But there's always going to be that section of people who wants to watch content in in its original form and just understand it by way of subtitles. And if you notice, earlier we would see maybe English subs or Hindi subs. Now you see subs across languages. Every single regional language has subtitling. It's, it's going to be a long time before dubbing can reach that scale. Subtitling is is, is way, way larger in scale. Way larger. It, it can't be replaced by dubbing, ever.
2: Now that we have a fix on everything that happens when dialogues are written, dubbing artists bring them to life, and studios put their money might behind building studios to create all this magic, there's one link that we cannot ignore. The film distribution channels that make sure these films reach their audience. For that, I spoke to Anil Tadani, founder of distribution firm AA Films, to tell us about the market for dubbed films and the promise it
0: holds. So, films have been dubbed uh, over a period of time into the Hindi language from the south. The kind of business they used to do used to be limited. It's post Baahubali one that uh, you know everyone started realizing as to these films could compete in business with our regular Hindi original language films. The market has definitely grown tremendously. And I mean, I think post the pandemic, the revenue that uh, the cinemas generate in a year, the pie of dub films has increased tremendously. The contribution of the revenue that these dub films are giving.
2: Now, naturally, if the market is big and booming, Anil too must be doubling down on getting more South Indian films. And that's exactly what I asked him.
0: Earlier, only the branded films were being dubbed, whether it was a branded director or a branded actor. Only their films used to get dubbed and they were released in the north. But now, every second film from the south wants to dub. Now, even a Bengali film I'm attempting to release on Eid because. The barriers have been shattered and, you know, now you never know what can work and where it will work. So it's better to experiment and take it forward like this and experiment and dabble. Like before KGF1, Kannada films were not even recognized and hardly used to release in the North. But KGF1 broke the barrier and it set a pattern that even, you know, Kannada films can achieve those kind of businesses. As far as I'm concerned, as a distributor, I'm releasing many more films earlier maybe I has to do... Maybe a film or two in a year. Now maybe I'm doing seven, eight in a year. Uh, But there are many more that are being dubbed. So, I mean, the influx is much more.
2: While the largest chunk of work is coming from English films dubbed into Indian languages, the largest growth drivers in the last two years have been the big-budget South films. But what is the differentiating factor between a big-budget Hindi film and these films from the South?
0: The films that are being made in the South, the producers are more gutsy in their budgeting, in spending on their film because the kind of money they are spending, we are not being able to spend. I think the money, the contribution of money is not in the making, but more in the fees of the creative people that are involved in the film. As far as the South is concerned, they're contributing a lot more in making of the film. And that's what we can see on screen.
2: But very little part of that money is going to promote these dubbed films as they're already well-known. And that's what's making money for the dubbing industry.
0: When these films are being made, they're making it with a X budget, not including the Hindi business. I mean, earlier, that's how it used to be made. So this used to be an extra contribution. And luckily, one doesn't need to spend that much on promotion for these films. Whereas for Hindi films, one needs to promote them, have a larger budget for marketing. So whatever they contribute, the ROI is much more than what the Hindi films have in today's times.
2: For anyone who is familiar with Sony Max, Indra the Tiger would ring a bell. It was like a permanent fixture every Sunday on Indian television. So it comes as no surprise to me that South Indian films have exploded in the North. And how? I remember I was in Mumbai when the first Bahubali came out and I had never seen anything like it people were flocking the theatres for multiple viewings of the Telugu film in Hindi. Then I came back to Chennai and saw the scene was no different with the Tamil audiences too. They were watching Prabhas mouth his punchy one-liners in Tamil to hooting and screaming and it felt like watching a Rajnikanth film. That was also the beginning of the Pan-India phenomenon. And now everyone wants to have a Pan-India hit. But here are some numbers to keep in mind. Other than the 22 languages in the 8th schedule of the constitution and the 99 languages spoken by more than 10,000 speakers, many other languages and mother tongues are spoken in smaller linguistic communities. So you can imagine just how many people would love to consume pan-India content in their own languages. While Anil said that not every film can be a pan-India phenomenon, Mona did not necessarily agree she said every film that wants to reach a larger audience can go the content localization route to grab more eyeballs. Also, she said more and more small-budget films and shows were approaching her studio to harness the power of multiple languages to give their work an edge over others. This naturally would translate to much more work for people like Sanket and Ria, but at what cost? I'll never forget the voice of the dubbing artist I spoke to who said no one even knows his name because he was never mentioned in the credits. It felt like writing an amazing story with no byline. Soul-crushing completely. Ria though, had a different experience with RRR. Her credit was right at the beginning of the film. And how lovely is that? I really hope more dialogue writers and dubbing artists get their due. The next time you watch your favourite films dubbed in your language, try and find out more about the people who almost completely recreated it to make sure you were part of its magic. Thank you Ria, Sanket, Mona and Anil. It's Friday, March 24th. I'm your host Diyarekhi and you've been listening to Vocal for Local, the booming dubbing industry on The Morning Brief. A shout-out to the team that helped put this episode together. Producer Vinay Joshi, sound designer Rajas Nayak, executive producers Anupriya Nayar, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Parman. A big thank you to Sparsha RK, Ruchika Jain, Shreya Matre for welcoming you to the morning brief in your language. Also, I have to mention the dubbing artists whose clips we played from Pushpa at the beginning of the episode. They are... Shreya Talpade in Hindi, PR Shekhar in Tamil, and Jis Joy in Malayalam. Do like and share the episode and follow us on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode. The Morning Brief is streaming on Amazon Prime Music and Geo Savan, apart from Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Do tune in to ET Play, our latest platform for all audio content. Thank you for listening in and have a great weekend. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.